This morning's message is entitled, The Work of the Word. The Work of the Word. Last week, as we began to go verse by verse through John, it was the second week, actually, of our study, we saw in verses 1 and 2 that we were introduced to the Word. We were introduced to him as, you'll notice in looking at verses 1 and 2, as pre-existence. That is, he was before time. He was before creation. He was here when nothing else was. We also noted in verse 1 <clears throat> that he not only pre-existed, but he was with God. That is, we noticed last week that he was in the presence of the Father, yet distinct from him. Distinct and separation a separate person is presented in verse 1, and we talked about that. And then to highlight it all, we saw thirdly, at the end of verse 1 and right into verse 2, again, that the Word is God, or was God, and the, that is the deity was presented to us of the Word and the deity of Jesus Christ. So our introduction to the Word is as the preexistent one, the one that was with God, separate in person, same in essence, because he is God. And today we now take a look at the work of God, uh, the work of the word, beginning with creation in verse 3, and that's where we left off. As we come to verse 3, we are given the biblical perspective of creation. The world has its interpretations and understanding as to how the world itself got here. The biblical perspective is given to us in verse 3, and it starts with the word all. It says, all things came into being. All things, not some, not just man, not just the earth, not just the animals. And I say just because all of those things, it is true, but all things Everything came into being. He uses a different verb from that which he has used in relationship to the word. He uses a different word, and it's expressed, I believe, well in the English, in the translation that I'm looking in at. He came into being. All things that came into being. Unlike the word, who was preexistent as the word and preexistent as God, we find that as we look at the world, all things were created. Jesus Christ, the Word, was not created. He was there. He was preexistent. However, everything else was created. The biblical perspective is that it was created, all things were created, all things were brought into being, they did not evolve. They were not always here. There was a point in time in which they were created. They did not create themselves. There was an act upon it to create it. And that, what is, that, which, uh, that is clearly brought out in verse 3. That... There was an outside force that had to act upon all things to bring them into being. 
The earth was not always here. The earth did not form. I'm putting it in different ways just so you grasp it. The earth did not form out of nothing. The earth is not a result of an explosion. The earth, according to the biblical account, was the result of a creator. It was created. All of it was created. In other words, why is there, put it to you this way, why is there something here? Why is there snow outside right now? Why is there grass? Why is there planets? Why is the earth here? It is here for only one reason, according to verse 3. It was created. All things came into being, or all things were created. But how were they created? All things are here. All things exist. All things that we can see or not see, because it's also in heaven, we will talk about that, were created, unlike the word itself. So the introduction, it's a major distinction. The word itself was always here, preexistence. However, everything else that you can think of was not here. And the only reason it is here is because it was created how? He tells us, by the agency of the word, verse 3. By him. All things came into being, how? By the agency of him. By the agency of the word. By the agency of Jesus Christ. There isn't anything that you can look at. There isn't anything that you can study. There isn't anything that you and I can call to mind in our existence that was not brought into being by the word. All of it was. And you say that's Jesus Christ? Absolutely. We talked about that last week as far as the word is Jesus Christ. You say, I don't understand how that can possibly be. I want you to see some things, just a few verses. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But I thought Jesus Christ came into being at Bethlehem. No. We already saw last week. Jesus Christ was preexistence. That was where he took on the appearance of man in Bethlehem in this time of year that we celebrate as Christmas. In 1 Corinthians, in the 8th chapter, I want you to notice verse 6 and what it says. Yet for us, there is but one God. Now watch. The Father from whom are all things. Really? And we exist for him. And watch. And one Lord, who's that? Jesus Christ. What did he do? By whom are all things and we exist, how is that, through him. Very clear. The Father and the Son work together. And we see the agency by which even the world was created. That's why when you think of the babe in Bethlehem, that's wonderful to think about his coming to earth. But was he here before? Yes. 
Why? He is very God. We've seen that in verses 1 and 2. Well, then how did everything else get here? He created it. Who did? The Word did. Who's that? The Son. You mean the one that died on the cross, the one who was crucified for my sins, was also the agency by which everything that we know or do not know but has come into existence came here? Yes. That is the biblical account. Say, I'm not really sure about that. Let's try Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 to see if there's any consistency here. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. I will go back and read verse 1 since we're right at the beginning of the chapter. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Verse 2. In these last days has spoken unto us, how? In his son. What about him? Whom he appointed heir of all things. Is that all? No. Through whom also he what? Made the world. He was the agency. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are in this together. And the agency by which everything came into existence was the Son. Only possible if our Savior is God. Absolutely. Only possible if Jesus Christ began and was around long before Bethlehem. Correct. He was and is. If that's not strong enough, go to your responsive reading. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to see verse 16, first of all. Colossians 1, 16. Who is he talking about in chapter 1? Jesus Christ. We know that very clearly. You can look at the context. Because he brought us into the kingdom of his son, verse 13. We have redemption in him. He is the image of the invisible God. That is because he is God. In verse 16 it says, Why? For by him. Now I love verse 16 because it further defines what John says in John chapter 1, verse 1. For by him all things, how many? All, were what? Created. Where? Both in the heavens, that means angels? Yes. And where? On earth. The things that we can see? Yes. Visible. What else? Invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I don't get it. Further explain it. All things have been created by him. You see, there isn't anything. Why? Through the Son, through the Word, through the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created. Not only that, notice verse 16, not only created by him, but why? For him. You mean I have been created for the glory of God? Yes. You mean the trees were created for the glory of God? Yes. You mean angels were created for the glory of God? Yes. You mean mosquitoes were created for the glory of God? I don't want to say it, but it's true. Yes, they were. All things, all things in heaven 
and an earth. But I can only see so much. Don't worry about it. Even things that you cannot see, he says, were created by him, invisible, and for him. And if that's not enough, look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things, what? Hold together, subsist. Why is it that the planets don't hit one another? Because he holds it together that way. Why is it that we just don't fall over and die? Because he keeps us. Why is it that all things that have been created are even able to continue going on? Because he holds it together. Only God can do that. So what we've got in the word, and we ought not to be surprised, back in John chapter 1, we find out that the word is not only preexistent, the word is not only in the presence of God as a separate and distinct being, and not only is the word God, but if he is, he should have the power to do what it says in verse 3, and he does. He has created all things, and he puts it another way, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So there isn't anything, even breathing, anything that has come into being has only come into being through him. Why do it through the Son? Why do it through the Word? Why do it through Jesus Christ? Listen now, stay with me. Why even bring the world into existence by the Son? He's going to answer that for us. We're a little ahead of ourselves. But look at verse 14 of chapter 1. You're familiar with it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the only begotten of the Father. Okay, why else? Go down to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, what does he do? He has explained him. You say, I don't understand. You see, God the Father had the world created by the agency of God the Son also because it is the responsibility of the Son not only to die on the cross, but it is the responsibility of the Son to manifest, to reveal, to explain who? The Father. Because we can't see God. And the way God has always chosen to demonstrate and to display himself to his created being, made in the image and likeness of God, is to do it through the Son. And so the Son was the agency for what? Creation. Well, I still don't make the connection, you say. That is why we read in Psalm 19. I won't turn there. You can turn to it on your own later. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens display the glory of God. There is no place on the earth, no place in the world where it can't be seen. What do you mean? It is the agency of the Son that it was all created, and the Son who has the job to manifest the Father has used creation to reveal the Father to us. You say, really? Yes. That's what Romans tells us. Romans chapter 1 says that there is no one alive that is without excuse. Why? Because even the invisible things of him are clearly seen. How? By the things that are created. What do you mean? Even his eternal power and Godhead. How is it displayed? How is it manifest? How is it explained through creation? Who created it? The Son. Why? Because he explains who the Father is. 
You see? All of it fits together. It is very clear that it should be the agency of the son because his responsibility is not to just die on the cross for us. By the way, that death is really to satisfy the righteousness of a holy God. It's really for the benefit of God. But he has also got the responsibility. That's why he can say in his presence, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My responsibility, that is the Son, is to display the Father. One of the ways the Father is displayed is through creation. Thus, the Son has been the agency for the creation because that is one of the ways that he displays the invisible God to us. So right in John chapter 1, it's absolutely magnificent. We find right away, and remember, John wants us to understand who Jesus is. So we're not surprised <coughs> that he tells us that he is indeed the word. He is indeed God. He is indeed preexistent, which he would have to be in order to create. And now that he has created everything. If he is God, and he is, then everything that we see, if the Bible says was created, had to be created by him, because the Bible also says that it is his responsibility to manifest, to reveal, to make known the Father. And one of the ways he does that is through creation. Not only that, we find now in verse 4, the next point, that he also is light and life. Verse 4, in him, in who? The word. Not only is he God, verse 1, not only has everything come into being through him, verse 3, but also in him, that is the word, was life. Was life, yes. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 26. I want you to see this, not just that he gives life, in him is life. John chapter 5, verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, he's got to, to be God, even so he gave to the Son, what? Also to have life in himself. You see? The Son has life in himself. Why? He is God. And he's face to face with the Father. But he's the agency by which the Father is revealed. And even Life exists where? In him. All life. Let me ask you this. What is the most valuable asset that you and I have in this world? And I'll be honest with you right now. If any of you thought of anything in your home or anything anywhere else, including your children, your thinking isn't in the right place. The most valuable asset you have is life. Where did that come from? My parents. Really? Keep going back, folks. It came because in him is life. And the son, the word, gave everything life. If we were to go back to the Genesis account, we would find out that when God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we're having that conversation, let us make man in our image, and so forth. He created man out of the dust of the earth, right? Then what did he do? He breathed into him what? Life. And man became a what? Living soul. 
It all comes from him because in him is life. That ought to help us today because why? Why should we be surprised that life eternal has to come from him? Because in him is life. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, I'll just call it to your attention. In that account where Paul comes on the scene and they're trying to worship the unknown God, he says, let me explain him to you. You know how he does it? Very simply. He says, he is the God by which you are even able to walk about, to breathe, to exist, because he gives life. Why? Because he is life. No wonder we're going to find out in this book that eternal life is defined as knowing God. It's knowing who he is. It's having that relationship with him. Not only is he life, but life comes from him. That's going to become a theme of God, the gospel according to John, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the life. He is life himself. And then he says he's the light of men in verse 4. And the life was the light of men. I believe, just for technicality here, that it's talking about the same thing because it's a very similar construction as to what has been said earlier where it says, in the word was God. When he says here in our English in verse 4, and the life was the light of men, it's a very similar construction. The only difference is there's one more article that's there. And the point is this, that Jesus Christ is both life and light. Light is opposed to what? Darkness, obviously. Not just darkness in the sense of no physical light in the world, but darkness also in the sense of evil. The Lord Jesus Christ is light. He's life. He's righteousness. He not only is able to give life, he is life. Without him, there would be no life. Without him, there would be no light. Without him, there'd be no understanding. Without him, there'd be no display of total righteousness. Because life and light is in him. Yes, he does bring it to mankind. We find that out in verse 4. The light of men. And the life and the light of men. He is not only the one who is the author of initial life. He's the author of salvation in eternal life. He's not only that, he is the one who is able to bring light into the world because he is the light of the world. He is the one that's able to push away darkness. He is the one that is able to bring men to an understanding. In John chapter 8, I'll read it to you. You can stay there. John chapter 8, verse 12, listen to these words. And again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, the connection there, of light and life. So he brings it. Thus, the Lord Jesus Christ is not only God, he's not only life, he is light. He, in him is truth, in him is righteousness. And this presents a conflict, verse 5, or a problem as I had in your outline a couple of weeks ago. And that is the light, that is Jesus Christ shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what does that mean? There's a couple of possibilities. First of all, obviously, light shone. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as the possibilities of comprehending, there's one or two possibilities. One is that the darkness did not 
comprehend in the sense of understanding it with its mind. Or it's possible, because it, scriptures use it sometimes that way, that's talking about that it did not overcome him. Some of your English translations may say that, or grasp, or hold on to him. Both statements, by the way, are correct. What's the context of verse 5? I believe it's dealing with the concept of overcoming. Why? I'll give it to you very briefly because of John's use of the word. He only uses it three other times in the gospel account, and I think you will see that it's dealing with comprehending it. Go to the verses with me quickly. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. He uses it twice. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman, what? Caught in adultery and having set her in their midst. Then in verse 4, said to her, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Verse 17 of chapter 6. Let's turn there. 17 of chapter 6. I didn't mean to go over that one. It's the first one I wanted to go to. Verse 17, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea of Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus did not yet come to them. And the last use is found in chapter 12. I'll deal with these verses at length when we get there. Chapter 12 and verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus therefore said to them, for a little while longer, uh, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. So what am I saying? I think I, I even made a, an incorrect statement a moment ago. What am I saying? It's the idea of overcoming. It's the idea of overpowering or overtalking, overtaking, excuse me. I think, believe that's what it's dealing with. The Lord Jesus Christ came in as the lights into darkness, and the darkness did not what? Overpower it. Does it understand him and comprehend him? Well, it can't without the insight of the Holy Spirit. That's true. But I think it's the idea it could not overpower him, could not overtake him. And you've got that with the woman taken in adultery. You've got that with him coming across. And you've got it in chapter 12, verse 35. The idea of overtaking or overpowering. No one will overpower the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus Christ? He's preexistent. What is he in these verses? Second person of the Godhead. What is Jesus Christ? Or who is Jesus Christ? He's the creator. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the life. He is the light. Who is Jesus Christ? He is also the giver of life and the giver of light. You say, fine, Pastor Dan, that's all theological. What relevance does it have to us today? And that's where I want to spend the remainder of our time. What relevance? Many of you could have come up here. I'm speaking to an audience where I know there's very competent teachers right in front of me. They could have come up here and said the same things that I said. But what does it mean? It means an awful lot. First of all, it means something in relationship to eternity. 
What is that? Salvation. If Jesus Christ is God, and he is, if Jesus Christ is life, and he is, if Jesus Christ is light, and he is, and he's told us that there is no way to come unto the Father but by him, then guess what? There is no other way to, Christ, to God the Father but through him. And if a person dies in their sins, they will face eternity in hell, separated from him. Does the world want to hear that? The answer is no. But the message is that light has shone in darkness, and truth has come here through the Lord Jesus Christ in his very presence. And to those who believe on him, the one who is the revealer of God, the one who is the very image of God, the scriptures tell us that they are given forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. But no one can come unto the Father unless the Father draws him. So we are totally dependent upon God, not only for life in this world, but also for eternal life. The word I really want to concentrate on is my next point. How about everyday living of believers? Does this have any significance to you? It should. You say, how? Let me try to be practical with my last few minutes with you. Look at the economy. You say, I don't want to look at it. I don't blame you. Is it not true that the economy is very difficult right now? Yes. Are people not losing jobs? Yes. Are they not predicting it's going to get worse? Absolutely. Are you sure you're going to have a job? No. Aren't we living in a world, in a country, that's talking about change, and change is happening all the time? Yes. We don't like change, do we? Honestly, think of your family. I'm trying to be practical to get a point across here. Think of your family. I think of my own family. Things change. We have family traditions, and you do a number of things when the kids are young, and then all of a sudden they get a little older, and you can't do the same things anymore. And then they get a little older, and some go to school, and some get married, and then it's difficult even to get your family together, and change is taking place, and all of a sudden you're reflecting on it, and you're saying, you know, it's, things aren't the way they were. They're not. And sometimes we don't adjust to that change. And then we have our own bodies to remind us. You didn't want to touch that one, Pastor Dan. Yeah. You know, when we were kids and younger, we had all this energy and we could do all these things. And then we're in our teens, we were, we were, you know, we were really strong. And then in the 20s and so forth, and then all of a sudden, we got now we can't even pick up a ball without it hurting because it's too heavy or whatever it is. And we can't run, we can't do this. What is that? I'm trying to be practical. It's change that's happening in our lives. And then we come to a church. And what happens? Well, it's just not like it was when we were in North Andover. We had 25 people. Praise the Lord, it's not. What are you talking about? Think of how many people got saved in between. We always want to go back. As a family, we want to go back to the way it was. As a, as a, as a person, we want to go back to the way our body was. As a church, we want to go back to the way it was and who was there. Listen, it's changing all the time. If you're going to live in the past, you're going to get nowhere in your personal walk with Christ. We will get nowhere as a church.
Change is happening all the time. And sometimes we don't like it. But I want you to see something. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And it's very relevant to what we're talking about here in John. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, just look at verses 17 and 18. Every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift, where does it come from? Above. Coming down from whom? The Father of lights. What about him? In whom is what? No variation or shifting shadow. In the existence of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might, as it were, be the first fruits among his creatures. Isn't that interesting? What are we saying? God never changes. We know the passage. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, I believe that. Honestly, looking at some of your faces, some of you don't. Not in a practical sense. He is the same and he never changes. You say, what does that mean? You say, I've lost my job. Has God changed? Has God still created everything and holding it still together? Yes. Is your Savior still God, very God? Yes. You say, my health has gone down. I'm not in the shape that I was. i got to go see the doctor. In fact, my life expectancy is very short. Has God changed? No. It's very practical. If you understand John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, you need to realize no matter what is happening in your life, you say, people have changed. I've now lost people in my family in that they've moved away. They're not around. Has God changed? You say, there's all kinds of new people that have come to the church, and I don't know who they are. Has God changed? Some people have left. Has God changed? We fall apart. We dwell on the past. We get caught up by circumstances. And the world's economy overtakes us because we forget who we belong to. You say, what do you mean? How real practical is Romans 8.28 to you? God is working all things together for good. You say, but my family's changed. Yes, and God's working it for good. You say, my health has changed, and God's working it for good. You say the church is changing and God is working it together for good. You say the United States of America is changing and God is working it together for good. Can you bring that down into your life in a practical sense? Or do we fall apart? Often we fall apart. What do you mean? I know the context all the way to 29. 
God is going to continue to work. Listen to Philippians 1.6. You know it. Having this confidence that what God has begun in you, what's he going to do? Complete it until when? The day of Jesus Christ. What is he doing in Romans chapter 8? Conforming us to the image and the likeness of God. This has every relevance that you can think of. If my God is pre-existent, if my God's still in control, if my God has created everything, and if my God is working everything for good, I don't have to fall apart when the economy goes south. I don't have to fall apart. Will I feel the pain? Yes. Will it hurt? Yes. Will everybody understand everything? No. But all too often in our life, we fail in the practical, everyday life to relate to the fact we look at what people are doing, we don't look at what God is doing. We fail to see that God's still in control. Who cares if the economy goes south? Well, you say it affects my job, yeah. Will God take care of you? Didn't he say he will never forsake you? Didn't he say he will never leave you? Did Stephen have to face stoning and actually die? Yes. Did he use that for his betterment and to help Stephen and for the glory of God? Yes. We don't see it that way in the practical sense. I want to leave you with several verses very quickly and then we'll be done. God, listen to this, God is entrusting us, I believe, me, yes, Pastor Dan, yes, this church, yes, you, yes. God is entrusting you with trials and changes. Why? For your benefit. To find out who you are. To find out who I am to find out who we are. Why? Because he's conforming us to the image of the Son. He's not lost control. A couple of quick verses. Go with me to Psalm 16. I'd like you to follow me on these. Turn with me. Come on. Then we'll close it up. Psalm 16, verse 5. I'll march you from the back the front of your Bible to the back, but just four, four different texts quickly. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my portion, or is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. Thou dost support my lot. God's my portion. Get down to verse 11. Thou will make known to me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of what? Joy. In thy right hand... There are pleasures until circumstances come? No, forever. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Psalms are full of it, by the way, passages like that. Isaiah 41. Verse 10. You can look at the context. I don't intend to take any of these out of context. Just to see the emphasis that I'm trying to give you about God's control and what he's doing. Isaiah 41, verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. We do. Why? For I'm your God. 
You say, I'm saved. Then the word who created everything, who is God, is still there. You see? I'm your God. What's going to happen? I will strengthen you. When others are seeking not to strengthen you, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. How? By my righteous right hand. I don't know if you're encouraged by that, but I am. There isn't anything anybody can do. God's still working, and he will continue to uphold us with his right hand. Matthew chapter 6, two more. Say the economy's tough. Changes are difficult. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. As to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, are you facing the possibility of losing your job? Economy dif being difficult? Nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. If they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into bonds. Watch this. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Grab the last part of verse 26. Are you not worth much more than they are? You say, yes, I am, but my family's changing. Yes, I am, but my physical being's changing. Yes, I am, but my circumstances are changing. Yes, I am, but my relationships are changing. Yes, I am, but... The church is changing. What difference does that make? God's still who he is. Which of you being anxious, verse 27, add a single cubit to his lifespan? Anxiety always adds to life, right? <laughs> i tell you what it does. It adds to heart attacks. It adds to uh, all kinds of other things. And the last passage with this will close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember this? Last passage. So relevance, I think so. Is it just theology, your knowing of John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, that God created everything, that God is the word, that he was there in the presence of the Father, that he is life, that he is life? Or does it relate to our everyday living? Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, remember this, we do not lose heart. Do you lose heart in your family? Do you lose heart on your job? Do you lose heart as you talk with people? You might not have heard anything else, but I'll tell you this. Listen, if you're losing heart, you're looking the wrong place. The same is true for me. We're looking in the wrong place. Why? Verse 16. But though our, <coughs> though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed. How often? Day by day. Why? For the momentary light affliction is producing for us eternal weight and glory far beyond all comparison. When our focus is right, 
And even though the circumstances change, and even though things get difficult, but we're focusing on him, we know who we are, we belong to him, we know what he's doing as best we can. We can be assured that God is working in us an eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not for the things which are seen, but for the things which are not seen. Too many Christians are looking around at the things that are seen. Not for the things which are temporal. That's why I said to you early, some of possible, the couple get offended when I said that. But if you're focusing on something that's temporal, your focus is in the wrong place. But our focus is on the things which are not seen. Why is that the case? Verse 18, because they are eternal. They are eternal. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for this tremendous opening in the glorious gospel according to John. How he has shown to us that the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, was preexistent, was face to face with you, was in your presence, and is God. And Father, we see that he has created all things. And while that is theological, help it to be practical in our life. So that no matter what the world might see as far as loss of control, no matter what we might face day in and day out, help us to realize that it is the creator of the entire universe, of all things in heaven and of all things in the earth and anything that has come into existence, who is our savior, who will never forsake us, who will encourage us and will ever be with us. Help us to be encouraged and comforted by that and to praise your name for who you are, that you might get all the glory. For, Father, even we have been created for you. Help us to glorify you with our lips, with our thoughts, and with our actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.